0: Let's go Galatians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we should have the text up on the screen behind me later. Uh, If you don't own a Bible, uh, I'd love to help you fix that. We value God's word here. Uh, We believe that it has the ability to convict of sin and draw people to repentance. We believe that God uses it in mighty ways to draw people to himself uh, and give him him, give people himself, and so uh, it 's the thing that we value most here above everything else it 's the thing that we build out uh, the majority of our time here around uh, and and so uh, it 's advantageous for us for us to put a Bible in your hands if you don 't have access to one outside of this place, so come see me after class, and uh, we can we can do something about that uh, if you uh If you were here last week, we kicked off a brand new series. Uh, It's that picture up there on the same page. I did the artwork myself. I don't own Photoshop, but I used to. Now I own a, a knockoff version called Pixelmator, and I pulled it off. All right. Now, we, we kicked off a brand new series called On the Same Page, and the premise is pretty simple. Um, we got kind of a new season here, and people have come out of different levels and variations of spiritual and cultural backgrounds, and so it, it's, it's a good idea for us. We can use the word advantageous again. It's a good idea for us to uh, kind of be thinking the same stuff when, uh, when Christian religious vocabulary words are kind of tossed out there, all right? when certain words are kind of tossed out in the ether. Abba, Father. Because you don't have a, a pretty extensive church background. No, we're not talking about the Swedish band. That band that wrote all those songs that you secretly enjoy but won't admit to. Dancing Queen. Doo-doo-doo. It's catchy. No, we're not talking about the band. Abba is the Aramaic word for father. Now, I need to push back because I'm I'm the pastor and I'm responsible for uh, helping all of us, myself included, walk in biblical faithfulness and understanding our Bibles well and all those kinds of things. I want to gently push back on something. Uh, Evangelicals for about 100 years have been teaching some stuff that's a little erroneous, not bad wrong, but a little wrong. Uh, Back in the 1920s, there was a historian uh, that argued Uh, that came up with the idea that this word Abba in Aramaic was this really endearing term for daddy. Couple problems with that. One, is that there's virtually zero scholarship to support his claim. Two, it doesn't really even make sense in first century Semitic cultures. They, They didn't really do endearing, they did more... Honor. Remember, it's an Eastern thing, an Eastern religion and an Eastern culture, so it's more of a face culture. There was, there's honor and respect there more than there is endearing love and connection. But, so daddy may be a little too strong, but it is personal. God's not simply a father. He's our father. That's a massive deal. God is our Father. Now, some of you may be coming from homes where thinking of God as daddy or father or whatever probably doesn't bring up really positive things for you. In fact, it brings up some kind of terrible negative things for you. My word for you this morning would be this. Be careful that you're not making sense of the world around you in a backwards way. What I mean by that is this. If we're not careful it's possible to take our poor examples for fathers and project them onto a good god. Rather than critiquing and defining and making sense of just how poorly our example was by the perfect good father that he shows himself to be. Over and over again in well we can just go on the sermon on the mount Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus references God as a good father who always gives good gifts to his children. Maybe your your daddy growing up wasn't there. Or maybe he was a train wreck when he was. The Bible talks about God being a daddy who always does what is good and right for his kids. Who always disciplines out of love instead of out of impatience or anger. Jesus describes God as a good father over and over again. I've got two small kids at home. They paw at me all the time. Anybody else? Daddy, can we, daddy, can we, daddy? Will doesn't talk yet, so it's really just coming from Livy, all right? Daddy, 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 daddy. I feel like this is a safe place to be honest. Listen, there's days when my sinfulness gets in the way of that. And I get impatient. I don't really want to deal with that. Man, oh man, there's other days. There's other days when it lights me up that that is the greatest joy in the world. And some of you daddies know this firsthand. The pride that floods you in that moment. My kid asked me for something. My kid wanted help from me. You know what I'm talking about. It floods you that that is, one, I almost fell off the stage. It floods you that that is one of the greatest joys ever. Listen, there's, there's sinful days that that gets in the way, and I, I miss out on that reality, but there's other days when I'm walking in better faithfulness that that is one of the greatest experiences ever. Follow me, Nashville Baptist Church. If you are a Christian, if you know and have Jesus, there is never a day when your father has a bad day. Ever. There's not not a single moment where you can come to your heavenly father and he's got this sinful impatience towards you. He's always pleased to receive you. And he wells up with pride when you come to him. He is a good, good father. We haven't been saved to neutrality. We've been saved to walk And to live in relationship with a God who loves you and loves you deeply. And through no merit of our own, decided to make you his. We don't just escape the wrath of God, we get God. We don't just escape the wrath of God, we get God. And some people struggle with this thought because they think that they deserve to be loved and that God is somehow this person that's required to love them, both of those are positionally wrong. We talked about that last week. Go back and listen to the podcast, I don't know. We get God. Like, just marinate in that for a second. That should not be something we, we acknowledge and just move on. I don't deserve God deserve to know him there's nothing in me that merits his presence in and around me oh but yet oh but yet he freely gives himself to me as a loving father who will not be impatient towards me but i told you i'd give you two ideas Concerning adoption that helps us understand that the gospel is a family reality. The second is this. We don't just get a father. We get a family. My buddy Josh and Jackie, when they adopted Amos, they already had two little boys. Amos came home as a baby brother. And yeah, he had to, he had to learn how to, to live with those big brothers. But they knew him and loved him more than he was even able to understand at the time. Acts chapter 2. Join me in Acts chapter 2. It'll be to your left. So a few days after Jesus ascended into heaven, he left his disciples with a mission to accomplish, to make disciples of all nations, right? And he gives them the Holy Spirit to empower them in that work. And that ball kind of gets rolling as Peter stands in front of a giant crowd and gives a kind of a hellfire and brimstone sermon. (laughs) It's not really seeker sensitive. He kind of calls a bunch of people out. He gives this massive sermon in front of a big crowd of people on a Jewish holiday called Pentecost. And God does some amazing things and lots and lots of people become Christians then and now they're all a part of the church and so you got to ask the question a logistical question what's next? Right? like there's, there's literally thousands of people who have gone okay I'm in what do we do next? you got to figure that out and so in Acts chapter 2 we get the answer to our what next question look at verse 41 So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. All right, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the answer to the what's next question is pretty simple. They hung out together like a lot. This daily they constantly met together and they ate food together and they worshiped god together and they celebrated the lord's supper together they learned about jesus together they sold stuff and served each other's physical needs together the bible says that as they did that more and more and more people started coming to to them and like we we think this is pretty cool can i be in on it People have used this text, and a lot of pastors try to sh- tend to shy away from this text now because it's kind of been robbed for some people with agendas. It's been romanticized to, to, for people to point to things like the home church movement and say that churches should be small by design. They forget the fact that there's 3,000 plus people and they're growing every day. All right? But here's the thing. No matter what you think about how big a church ought to be, there's something important about this text that I want to ask the question of. Is there any difference between between what we just read about how the church fleshed itself out right after Jesus gave them the command to make disciples of all nations and boom things are rolling? Is there any difference between that and what anybody in this room would think of when we try to imagine what a good healthy family would be? Like again, don't work backwards, don't project your terrible family onto God's design. Is there any difference? The answer is no. They hung out together. They ate meals together. They served each other. They worshiped God together. See, when the church is doing what the church has been designed by God to do, the follower of Jesus gets a new family. We get a new family. And every single one of us is better for it. We grow here. We thrive here. We walk in obedience to to God here. Make no mistake, every family, especially this one, even church families, they have shortcomings. Every family has that one family member that makes family activities awkward. And if you're thinking, well, who's that for National Baptist Church? It's you. (laughs) But don't worry, we love you. You're home here. We'd miss you if you left. Every family's got hang ups. There is sin here. We're working on it. There are shortcomings here. We're working on it. There are things that need to be addressed in ways that honor God as our Father. We are working on it. But when the family of God does what God has designed it to do, every single one of us grows. God uses those things to help us grow and to cause us to be who he wants us to be. And look at verse 47 again. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, there are other places in the Bible, and we have to acknowledge this, that the Bible, that Paul, the Apostle Paul especially, will argue that the gospel, the cross of Christ, is the stench of death to those who are perishing. There are lots of people who will reject the work of Jesus on their behalf because they want nothing to do with it. So don't, so don't romanticize this text like we talked about. But when the church is doing, when the family of God is doing, what it's been designed by God, built out by God to do, it's naturally attractive. And people go, you know what? I think I like that. I think I want more of that. I'm in. I'm in. When God's people, the church, the family of believers do what they are called to do, a healthy family grows. It's just true. So when we plan a meal around here, it's not because we had some leadership conference we went to and we found this new church growth strategy and we use best business practices or this or that just because we're chasing after a family dynamic intended for our growth and intended for the proclamation of the gospel to others that's what we're doing when we call our people to serve each other for a season it's not because there's It's easier to get stuff done when there's many hands doing the labor or many hands pouring in. There's practical wisdom there. That's not not true. That's not what we're chasing after. We're chasing after a family dynamic that helps each of us grow and causes us to declare the gospel to those who don't know it yet. When we unpack God's word together, when we sing together, when we pray together, and yes, even when we discipline unrepentant sin together, We're chasing after a family dynamic intended for mine and your growth and the proclamation of the gospel to others. See, Nashville Baptist Church isn't here to make a bigger social and whatever footprint. We don't have some agenda to change the world with the things that we think the world works better as. We are a family of believers who through no merit of our own have been united together by the work of big brother Jesus. We're trying to walk in obedience to God as our father. And we are inviting as many as possible to come experience the new life that we experience here. Do social agendas come with that as a byproduct sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. They're tools, though, for our much bigger aim. And nothing more. When God's people, called the church, the family of God, do what they have been designed by God to do, we're all better for it. When you hear the word gospel come out of my mouth, I want you to be thinking family reality. A family reality that changes and aligns and molds everything in your existence. But adoption is the first step. So maybe you're here this morning and for some reason you've never submitted to King Jesus who wants to be daddy. You realize for the first time that you're on the outside of this family looking in. I'm going to pray in a second and we're going to sing and it'll be your opportunity to respond to that. How's that happen? It happens by you coming to God and saying, God, I I want you instead of all this other stuff. And the Bible says that he's pleased to save you in that moment. He's pleased to make you his. Maybe that's you today. You do that between you and God, but I'm going to be down here to talk if you need to talk and have, have somebody help you walk through that. Maybe you're here today, and you've been adopted, but for whatever reason, you've never joined the family. It's like Amos coming home with a mommy and daddy, but saying, I don't want to associate with those brothers of mine. Can I be honest with you? You're you're robbing yourself. Like, think about that. You're You're trying to do life and walk in obedience to what God has called you to without the primary things that God has given you to walk in obedience with. Good luck. Maybe you're here today and you need to say, okay, I'm in. I'm ready to go. And you dive in deep. Listen, if it's not here, then it's somewhere else. I happen to think we're doing a lot of good stuff around here and we're working on all the stuff that is not so great. It's a small list. But listen, maybe this isn't the place for you. Can I can I love you well in this moment and so just say this? Bye. I mean that. Because if this isn't your place, somewhere else needs to be, and you're wasting your time here. Let's go. Let's jump in and go. We got work to do. We're looking to serve each other here and be obedient to our Father here and I don't know, we got we don't have time for playing games on this stuff. So maybe you're here and for the first time you need to You need to jump in and say, I'm in. Let's go. I'm a part of the family. Again. I'll be down here to talk if you want to talk. But there's a third group of us. Maybe you're here in a technical sense. Maybe you've been adopted and maybe you're a part of the family in, a, in an official kind of way, but for whatever reason, you, you just sat back as a taker rather than a giver. Your family needs you, man your brothers and sisters that God has entrusted to you, need you. Let's go. Let's go. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. I'll be down here if you need to talk. Father God, you are a good God. God, you have saved us, redeemed us, reconciled us to yourself. We do not sit idly by, twiddling our thumbs unattached to you. But rather, you' have drawn us close, and if you, you have called us your own. And now that we are a part of the family, it changes everything. God is you. As you work in us and around us and with us, would you unite us together? We're not a bunch of individuals who gather on a Sunday morning. We are a family who have been brought together for the purpose of each other's betterment and for obedience to what you've called us to do. Oh God, you have been far too good to us. I don't deserve a bit of that. But as a good father, you give me things that I don't even know that I need. My kids all the time are oblivious to, to ways I serve them and love them. And it, that, that tells me that there's probably a lot of things that you do for me that I'm not even aware of or fight against as if it's somehow a bad thing. But you are always good and you are always patient. and You always revel when I come to you because you are my father. You are our father. So God, as we sing, and in the second when we take the Lord's Supper together, would you unite us as a family who've been saved by the work of big brother Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.